Hey everybody, welcome into the Cyclone Scoop. Alex Halstead here with a preview edition this week. I'm joined by Chris Anderson of Ear Sports and the Country Roads Confidential Podcast uh, at 24-7 Sports. Uh, Chris, thanks for joining me. I'm making my first trip to uh, Morgantown this weekend. I, I think I'm staying in Pittsburgh, but I might have to get some some tips for you. But thanks for coming on to help uh, the listeners kind of get a feel for what West Virginia provides Iowa State this week. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. Morgantown's going to be um, maybe a little jumping. I'm not sure. You know, I think uh, some people are a little bit down after that loss to Texas. And this game also coincides with fall break for the students. So, uh, you know, Neil Brown was imploring as many people as possible to come to the game. But as of right now, it's not a sellout. Um, it's going to be a tough one. It might work in Iowa State's favor, but it's not going to be as rowdy as it was last weekend. Yeah, that was one of the things I, I wondered about was mainly, you know, these teams get Texas or Oklahoma at home every year, and that's kind of the marquee game just because of, of what those programs are. And then you sometimes wonder, the fans get so excited for that, what's the next week like? Um, when you get back-to-backs with them. Um, it's like Iowa State this year will get Texas at home, and the next week they get Kansas at home. And those are just two completely um, different games. So it's always interesting, you know, how fans and, and even how a team maybe it wades through that, even just with the mental side. So I'll be interested to see that. But uh, you mentioned the Texas game. A, a tight game last week, 21-17, I think, going into that fourth quarter. Then the, the fourth quarter is just kind of crazy. Um, let's start at the top, though, with Neil Brown coming in. Uh, and kind of encompass all that. What has this team been like? Have, have they started to find an identity under him? And, and has it been up and down in finding that? Or, or what's this season been like so far? How would you kind of summarize it? Uh, I think it's been a feeling out process for Brown and the rest of his coaching staff. Uh, he's done a nice job coming in, kind of adapting to West Virginia, to the fan base. Um, but I think he's trying to figure out his personnel. You know, when Dana Hogerson left, a lot of people are like, why would a coach leave a power five school for a group of five school? And the answer is Dana basically had to win nine games or more to keep his job. Uh, he was not getting the extension he wanted. He was not getting the guaranteed money that he wanted. So him leaving made all the sense in the world. I would never blame him in a, mil- in a million years for uh, you know, leaving West Virginia for Houston in that situation because he was, again – had to win nine games with a team that he knew would be depleted after the departure of guys like Will Greer, David Sills, Gary Jennings, Yadni Kajust, uh, David Long, all guys that got taken in the NFL draft or are playing on NFL teams right now. Um, and so then Neil Brown had to come in and not only is dealing with a, a kind of depleted roster, but also a roster full of guys that he doesn't even really know. Uh, so I, I think there was some... Uh, adapting that needed to happen and and he's gotten used to that i think he's starting to figure out who who his players are what his who who are the future of the program as well um so we've seen a lot of roster changes the first few weeks a lot of depth chart changes a couple guys leaving a couple guys getting benched um a couple young guys getting starts because you know brown realizes that that they're the future that they're the guys that he can trust to kind of carry this team as his tenure continues how much different do they look on on either side of the ball? Is he adapting some of the same things or um, have even for those players, it's been kind of a complete shift of them learning new systems? The offense isn't too drastically different. Uh, he kind of has this uh, some air raid principles. He had time at Texas Tech and, and Kentucky running that as an offensive coordinator. 
So I wouldn't say the offense is, is schematically that much different. Uh, there is some, there's, but obviously there have been a few more changes just because of the, the differences in personnel. Uh, West Virginia could do a lot more when they had Will Greer at quarterback. Um, and defensively, it is a big, a big change. Uh, they West Virginia ran a three-three-five stack under Tony Gibson. It was not that aggressive, um, and the defensive line was more of just kind of placeholders, uh, guys that ate up blocks and, and opened things up for the linebackers to make plays. And now, under Vic Koning, uh, the new defensive coordinator, it's kind of a hybrid three-four-four-three with this bandit linebacker position. That's more of a uh, extended defensive end, a pass rush, an edge rusher. And the defensive line is making a much bigger impact than it has in West Virginia in almost a decade, I would say. And and it, it's very aggressive with that play, with the rush from the defensive line and with guys coming off the edges with blitzes. And, and we've seen that kind of work in West Virginia's favor w- with some big negative plays. And we've seen it hurt them when, when they've given up given up some big plays. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball in terms of like looking at this game. Uh, Matt Campbell was asked a couple times, uh, both on the Big 12 teleconference and then in, in Ames yesterday, about Austin Kendall and you know his recent stat line is just kind of it's different because there's uh, a ton to like. There's four interceptions, and Campbell said that you really can't. Campbell has kind of every time flipped it like. He's in a new system. He's starting to learn it. But that when you really watch him, he sees the talent and he sees the you know ability or a situation where West Virginia is putting the ball in his hands a lot and they're asking him to go make plays. And a lot of times he's doing that. What have you seen from him? And, and when he's having success against defenses, what does that kind of look like? I think we've seen him grow over these first few weeks. He too is needing to adapt. Uh, the first couple of weeks, uh, Neil Brown is the play, is head coach and play caller and co-offensive coordinators, Matt Moore and Chad Scott kind of work with him when they come up with the offensive game plan and, and what they're going to run, the scripted plays and what they want to do on offense for the game. And I think in the first couple weeks, they had the scheme and the plays they wanted to run and realized, and this isn't just on Kendall, this is kind of on, on, on the offense as a whole, but they realized that they were, the personnel they had, whether it be Kendall or other guys, were not capable of doing that. So they had to kind of pare down that playbook, rein it in a little bit. And we've seen Kendall kind of flourish since then. Um, it kind of took off a little bit in the NC State game. Obviously, the running game got going there as well. But he threw for three touchdowns and, and ran for 33 yards. Uh, next week against Kansas – a little more blah. I, I don't know if that's just the, the style of the game or what was going on there. Uh, but then again, of course, against Texas, he's got everything going there. You know, he's got 367 yards, but he's got four picks, but he's got three touchdowns and he's run for a touchdown. So I, I think you're going to continue to see, I think he's going to continue to get better as the season goes along because they're adapting this offense to him and he's picking it up more. I assume it's like like I would say with Brock Purdy and most schools, you know, are like this because it's just that's how football is. Is you know the offense goes as the quarterback goes, um, and and they put the ball in Kendall's hands a lot. Like I've said, I think you know three games, three or five games, he's passed forty plus times, and 
Uh, if you go to four or five games, it's 37 or more passes in, in four of those five games. Um, so obviously I assume the offense goes as he goes, but what other guys, you know, kind of make the difference in that offense? It seems like they're obviously a pass-heavy team so far, but what guys in that offense, you know, kind of help them be cohesive when they're playing well? Well, the other big big time player for West Virginia, at least so far this season, has been uh, wide receiver Sam James. The redshirt freshman kind of broke out uh, and and caught several passes, had a big day against NC State, uh, followed up with a couple more solid games. He leads the team in receptions, leads them in yards, has a couple touchdowns, but went down with uh, nobody will say on the record, but almost certainly kind of in concussion protocol, so to speak. Uh, took a hard hit, and, and when he went down to the ground, his head slammed against the turf, and, and he immediately went to the locker room. Uh, on Tuesday, Neil Brown said that he would call him questionable for this weekend's game against Iowa State. And depending on when you listen to this podcast, uh, we may or may not have an answer. Uh, Brown said he hoped to have uh, an update by Thursday evening, and we'll share it with everybody then. So so he's a big-time player there. Uh, fellow wide receiver T.J. Simmons stepped up in his stead. He was expected to be the guy at receiver this year and, and kind of has disappointed uh, through the first few games. And, and Brown said it and went on on record with it and told Simmons that. And Simmons, uh, you know, said, hey, I'm okay with it. I can take it. I know he's pushing me because I'm not playing well. And Simmons finally responded this past game uh, or yeah, this last game catching seven passes for 135 yards and a touchdown. So we'll see if that carries over to next week and continues. Um, at running back, it's kind of a group a group thing going on there. Kennedy McCoy, I would say, is the lead back. Uh, but West Virginia's gone more past because the run game has not been there. I think through the first two weeks, West Virginia ranked 130th out of 130 teams in yards per rush at, at right at one yard per carry. And – it was only that high because of some carries from Kendall and a couple wide receivers on end rounds. Uh, the running backs were af- actually averaging less than one yard per carry through two weeks. Now, it's picked up since then, but it's still only about three yards per carry uh, for the running backs right now. Yeah, it sounds in some ways um, similar to Iowa State. You know, they've they've got the run game going at times, but sometimes it's had to be Purdy. You know, you look at last week against TCU, he had a 102 yards. Um, but it opened up running lanes for the running back who ended up having, you know, their leading rusher, 72 yards. Um, so it is interesting um, how this game will unfold. You know, I'm assuming both teams wanted to try to establish the run a little bit. Iowa State's, you know, one of their strengths of their defense has been slowing that run. You know, TCU out, entered last week averaging like 275 rushing yards a game and, and didn't really get it going on the ground. Um, so it would be interesting to see if this turns into kind of a uh, – a high passing game, you know, for both teams. So um, let's flip to the the defensive side of the ball with West Virginia. Uh, you mentioned it, you know, a little bit ago, but um, they've gotten a lot more pressure, it does seem like. And uh, they're not, it doesn't seem like they're allowing a ton through the air, but you mentioned maybe some big plays at times. Uh, what is that defense doing well? And it seemed like in listening to Neil Brown this week, uh, his total focus seemed to be Brock Purdy. Yeah, I think the big thing for the defense so far has been the defensive line has really stepped up. Uh, the Stills brothers, Dante and Darius, uh, their father, Gary, was an All-American at West Virginia back in the day, played in the NFL for several years, and both um, chose to play at West Virginia. Darius was 
a mid three-star recruit by 24-7 sports. I think his only other offer was – or Power 5 offer was Rutgers. So not that highly recruited. Um, but Dante was an All-American, um, U.S. Army All-American, had offers from Penn State, Ohio State, Florida, et cetera, et cetera, and, and both chose to stay at home. And, and both, honestly, now that they're in college, you can't tell the difference over who's playing better than the other because they've both been outstanding so far. Uh, I don't know the updated stats right in front of me, but before the Texas game, uh, they were – or after the – before the bye week – they were ranking first, second in sacks and tackles for lost in the in the league. Um, so that's that's changed the last couple of weeks, but they're up there and they're making a difference. And then at cornerback, uh, Hakeem Bailey and Keith Washington have really been outstanding. Uh, West Virginia has no depth at cornerback, none. Uh, it, it's those two guys at starter. Uh, the other scholarship cornerbacks on the roster at the moment are Dre Miller, who is out for several more weeks after having surgery during fall camp, uh, and then true freshman Nick Troy Fortune and Tay Mayo. And they were are trying to redshirt Tay Mayo. And so it's basically Washington and Bailey with a true freshman right behind them and then a walk-on as the fourth cornerback on this roster, which, as we all know, in the Big 12 is not going to fly. Um, but as of now, it hasn't been that big of an issue because Washington and Bailey have stayed healthy. They've played extremely well. Um, I had picked Washington as my kind of dark horse, all big 12 candidate from West Virginia in the preseason. And I have to think he's up there, um, for it so far, uh, this season. And Hakeem Bailey is a guy that's been kind of, we, the joke around Morgantown is there's spring there's spring ball Hakeem Bailey because he has been the talk of spring ball for the last couple of seasons, spring ball and fall camp. And then we get to the regular season football and he struggles this year. That hasn't been the case. He has been spring ball Hakeem Bailey in the fall. When, when this West Virginia defense is uh, having success, what does that look like? And I guess the reason I bring that up is, it seemed like for three quarters Saturday it played really well. Was the fourth quarter just kind of a weird quarter because it was, I think, 21 to 14 in terms of, you know, Texas versus West Virginia. Was it just a, an anomaly or are there different things or things that looked different in that quarter that allowed Texas to have more success than maybe they found with the rest of that game? Uh, this the, the All the points for Texas, I believe, in the fourth quarter, those fall on the offense. Um, that was when Austin Kendall had his interception – uh, barrage and it was 21 17 and West Virginia had the ball and West Virginia threw an interception on the next two drives. And I believe both and both times Texas scored a touchdown and one drive started at the 18 yard line and the other drive started at the 33 yard line. And then the game was over. It's 35 17 at that point. Um, and I think at the time I said, you know, this, the score is going to read that this defense gave up 35 or more points. They ended up giving up 42, but that's not on the defense. Cause like I said, a 18 yard drive, a 33 yard drive for touchdowns, uh, the third touchdown, a 47 yard drive for a touchdown. So a lot of these are, are starting in West Virginia territory and, and really just killer a 27 yard touchdown off the other interception early in the first quarter. So 
the defense plays well, but when they get put in that tough spots like that, and Texas had, I believe, an advantage of 13 minutes in time of possession. So defense is getting put in a tough spot, short fields, worn out, and, and it kind of just wore them down. Yeah, that, that's interesting you say that. We talked on your podcast, um, you know, to preview this game too, and um, I think we talked a little bit about where Iowa State's defense is, and that's the same thing for them. They've put, been put in some tough situations. You know, the Iowa game, Iowa State loses 18-17. to 17. The only touchdown the defense gave up in that game was on a 25-yard field um, after getting pinned back and then a, a bad punt or a good punt return. So um, it's interesting somehow – Sometimes when you don't get to see the game, the, the numbers look a lot different than maybe the situations were. And uh, that's kind of what I wondered was the case. And it seems like for that that point is that, you know, if, if West Virginia can avoid the turnovers, they kind of can keep themselves in, in a game like last week. But when those turnovers start to come, you know, it affects both sides of the ball, obviously. Is that the key to this game? Or what, what do you think is the key to this game and, and how you think it might unfold? Yeah, I think that's – I am expecting um, a very – ugly game on Saturday. I think, you know, both teams have defenses that are better than their statistics might indicate. Uh, I think both teams have some weaknesses on offense. You know, I think they both, I think, you know, obviously Brock Purdy, I think is, is, is amazing, but I wonder about the playmakers around him, the guys that can help him. And with West Virginia, I see similar issues. Uh, obviously I think Sam James has been the standout so far for West Virginia and he might not play fellow starter, Sean Ryan, uh, has been ruled out for several weeks at wide receiver and running game has not been great. Receivers are kind of dropping like flies here. So Austin Kendall is going to be asked to do a lot. I think Purdy might be asked to do a lot. I could see a game where these two teams could combine in a wet and cold and just kind of dreary and miserable day. Uh, combined for six or more turnovers, and it just be a 20-something to 20-something game that, that kind of comes down to the last minute and who can screw up the least. Yeah, that's that's what I'm interested in. That's what I've been interested in in some of these games. Iowa State's played rainy games a lot, and you kind of wonder every week, how is this forecast going to affect things? Now, last week they got put into a delay. They end up not turning it over. The field was wet, but it didn't really rain because they had prematurely delayed the game before they ever started so that kind of helped uh in terms of not leading into a sloppy game but they've been in some sloppy games and i'm interested to see how that affects things because you know obviously that leads to some turnover sometimes and that's the type of game that you know i would say maybe it's a 10 point favorite but that's the type of thing um that starts to muddy muddy up what your expectations might be so um i think that's that's all i got for you thanks for taking some time and uh i'll see you out there in, in morgantown this weekend uh, thanks for having me on, Alex. Appreciate it. Thanks to Chris Anderson of our West Virginia site for taking a few minutes there to help preview this game for Iowa State. This is going to be a game that helps Iowa State reach the midway point of the 2019 season and a critical stretch coming up here for Iowa State. The Cyclones are now 3-2. and two. Both losses come by a combined three points, but they have an opportunity to stick in this race and really assert themselves at the top of the Big 12 in the weeks ahead, but it's going to take wins on the road on the two longest road trips in the Big 12. First, Iowa State goes to Morgantown this weekend, and then they'll head to Texas Tech next weekend before they come back home uh, for really a, a critical three-game stretch uh, where they get Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Texas in a four-week span with a bye week mixed in there uh, between Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. So these next two games are really important, 
but you got to go on the road and take care of business. And that's what kind of adds that element is uh, going on the road and doing that. It's hard to win on the road. Um, doesn't matter the quality of team you're playing. Uh, it's difficult to win on the road. And so this is a, a, an important stretch for Iowa State. The Cyclones are 8-0 and across the last two-plus October. Since the beginning of 2017, they're 8-0 and in October. Only two Power 5 schools uh, can say that, Iowa State and Alabama. So uh, they're in good company there. Um, but, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next three weeks. Can they get to that? 11-0 mark in October, uh, I think it's very possible. I think uh, Iowa State could very well be favored in the next three games. They're favored by uh, 10, 10.5 points uh, for this West Virginia game. If they win this, they could be favored uh, on the road at Texas Tech next week and then the week after, depending on how things play out the next, next couple of weeks with both Iowa State and Oklahoma State, uh, they could be a home favorite uh, against uh, Oklahoma State. So it's, it's possible that Iowa State will be a favor or, or be favored in the final three games of October, uh, but you, know, you still got to go take care of your business and they've got to find some consistency. Um, and I think, uh, you know, Chris Anderson there gave us some insight on on what that might look like, how Iowa State might have to uh, go beat West Virginia if they're going to get that done. Um, as I mentioned in there, I think Iowa State has a 80% chance to beat West Virginia this weekend, according to SP+. SP+, projects Iowa State uh, to win by 14.8 points. And so the score projection from SP Plus is uh, 34 to 19. Um, so, you know, in that model, Iowa State's projected to win by two scores uh, and cover uh, that 10, 10 and a half point uh, betting line. I don't know what type of game to expect. You know, um, I thought Iowa State would beat Baylor, but I thought it was going to be a close game, like a two to four point type game. That's what it ended up being. Iowa State comes on the opposite end in large part because they couldn't put points uh, on the board in the first half. And if Iowa State could come out and do what they did against TCU offensively and just be consistent, um, then I think they have enough firepower um, to go and, and win this game in Morgantown by something like 10 points. But I think things really have to come together again offensively. You know, Can they sustain that? Really the last five quarters we've seen really good football from Iowa State offensively. Uh, can they now sustain that across two games? Uh, and maybe three games leading into Texas Tech. I think that's what we have to see from this offense. Defensively, I think you know the biggest two things have been third down defense and forcing more turnovers. If you talk to John Haycock, if you talk to players, those are the two things that they're going to bring up. Or is Iowa State has to be better on third down, which I think they were uh, better situationally for sure against TCU, and they've got to force more turnovers. They did that against TCU uh, once with the strip sack for a touchdown and then uh, enforcing a fumble on, on kick coverage. Um, you look at West Virginia last week, four interceptions from Austin Kendall. Uh, he's got nine touchdowns to seven interceptions this year. He's had some really clean games, and then he's had that messy game uh, against Texas. If Iowa State can you know, take away the run, make him throw a lot of passes, um, that increases the opportunity to, to intercept some passes. And as you heard from Chris, that's where things got away from West Virginia last week. You know, it was 21 to 17 going into the fourth quarter there in Morgantown uh, before things really got away from the Mountaineers in the fourth quarter. And that's why I don't think fans um, or, or media or anyone should just expect Iowa State to go to West Virginia and as a 10-point favorite just – you know, go there and, and dominate that game. You know, Texas was in a dogfight for three quarters there. And, uh, you know, I think obviously it's got to grind it out and, and, um, and, you know, hope that they can get some short fields and, and things like that, um, you know, to, to live up to that uh, expectation. I mentioned the SP Plus model. ESPN's Football Power Index gives Iowa State a 77% chance to win. And uh, like I said, if Iowa State can win this game, they go to 4-2. and two. And then you look at the next um, two games in October after this, 
Uh, ESPN's FPI gives Iowa State a 68.5% chance to beat Texas Tech and a 67% chance to beat Oklahoma State. Um, they could be favored to come out of the month of October um, at, uh, what would that be, 6-2. Uh, and two. So, you know, they might be favored to be 6-2 and two going into Oklahoma and Texas in that critical two-week stretch. Uh, if they can do that, they're going to be in the Big 12 race. And so um, that's what's going to be really interesting in, in the weeks ahead because I think Iowa State's got the talent. We've seen that. You know, they're a few plays from being 4-1, uh, and 5-0, and oh, uh, but they're 3-2 and two because because of a few of those, those plays. And so um, this is where if you are a Big 12 contender, if you're uh, a top four team in the Big 12, you have to take care of business at West Virginia and at uh, Texas Tech. And that's not me trying to say that those games are easy. You know, I think all these games in the Big 12 feel like they could be one-score type games. Um, but a good team, a team that wants to be up in contention, like Oklahoma, Texas, and right now Baylor is, uh, you've got to win those one-score games. And uh, that's what's going to be uh, kind of the big key here in the weeks ahead because I think there's still going to be some some close games. You know, Texas Tech uh, beats Oklahoma State at home last week, forced five turnovers. Um, you know, Jet Duffy's, you know, looked pretty capable. Uh, you know, Oklahoma State's a team that, you know, Iowa State has seen the the shootouts in recent years. So um, I don't think any of these games are easy, whether Iowa State's favored by 10 points or not. Um, but, you know, if they want to be up there, the, the, these are the games that they're going to have to win uh, here in the month of October. So uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Cyclone Scoop, the preview episode uh, of West Virginia. I'll be headed to Morgantown, so make sure to check out CycloneAlert.com for coverage from Morgantown. And uh, hopefully we'll have another podcast to recap that and uh, get a little bit more consistent here on the Cyclone Scoop. This is kind of what I want to do where I have a, a guest on from the opposing team every week. And I'm hoping to get back into that rhythm uh, here beginning with this West Virginia game. So thanks for listening. And uh, I hope to talk to you guys soon uh, after the West Virginia game.